Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to Real Critical. I'm your host, Pat Barker, and we got a very nice underrated gem to cover today. But before we get into this week's movie, brief recap. Uh, last time we were together, I told you guys not to go see the new Evil Dead Rise movie, and I really hope you listened. But I did tell you that the Super Mario movies, the Super Mario Brothers movie was well worth your money. So I really hope that you took the fam out to see that because it really is a wonderful movie. Such a good time. It's still playing in theaters. So if you haven't seen it and for whatever reason, and you're still on the fence about it, please go check that out. It just crossed a billion dollars to the box office last week, I think. Man, it's it's such a quality film, and I honestly can't wait to see what they do next. All right, then. Uh, on to this week's movie. Uh, I told you guys last week that this week we would be covering a movie that I believe deserves a lot more attention than it ever got. It honestly was a box office flop. Like it made the company, it made the company like zero money. Um, like barely made the production budget back. Came out in about 1998. Has a wonderful cast, and it's it's a music bio uh, biopic. And that movie is called Why Do Fools Fall in Love. I have such great memory of the first time that I saw this movie. My mom came home with these two VHSs, and I'm just like chilling in the basement with my grandmother doing laundry and she handed me two VHSs. And one of them was the temptations, like the, the TV miniseries that came out like in the nineties. And the other one was why do fools fall in love? Now that temptations one, that that's a good one too. Maybe I'll cover that one day. I don't really know, but why do fools fall in love was the first one that I put in. And when I tell you that I wore that VHS tape out, Oh my God, that thing never left my VCR. You caught me singing the songs and everything. I knew the words. And as I think man, I was like six or seven years old when she brought that home. And man, yeah, <laughs> such a good time with that movie. Um, this movie is about the three widows of one of the original singers of rock and roll, frankly, uh, Frankie Lyman. The movie follows them as they fight for control over his estate because people have been making money off of his songs for years. And at this point in time, I believe it's the 80s. No, there's the 70s, I believe, or something like that. Diana Ross has covered the title song, Why Do Fools Fall In Love? So the movie starts with these widows finding out about this and they try to sue the record company, but also just, you know, prove that they were married to him and then they just want royalties, right? And it goes into a really big deep dive into each one of their relationships with Frankie Lyman, how he met them, what his life was like, what their fallout was like, and then obviously leading into how he met the next wife. This movie is honestly carried by its performances. Lorenz Tate, who I am a massive fan of, 
like a huge fan. That man is such a talented actor and he deserves way more credit than he receives. For people who don't really know actors' names like that, Lorenz Tate is currently playing Councilman Tate on Power. He's on the he's on the original Power TV show, and he's on Power Book Two Ghost. If you watch that, he's also O Dog in Minister Society, and he also plays uh, what's his name, Darius Love Jones in, in Love Jones. Um, and one of the main reasons that this movie works is because of him. I'm not now don't get it twisted. I'm not comparing this performance, like the quality of the performance to the performance I'm about to bring up, but it just reminds me of the the technique and you know what was required to do this. So you know in Malcolm X, the beautiful thing about Denzel Washington's performance is that he plays Malcolm at three different stages in his life. Some say four, honestly. You know, you meet little. You meet Detroit Red, and then you meet Malcolm. Like you meet the Malcolm that we all know, you know? And he plays them at these different stages and he plays them so differently because they are three completely different men. And that's something that Lorenz Tate is able to emulate here. So he plays Frankie Lyman when he first gets his record deal, when he loses everything and becomes a heroin addict. And then he also plays him later in life where he's pretty much clean and trying to have a new life away from the stardom and away from the drugs and things like that and just lead a normal life. And he's like full of regret. And you can see that on his face. Now, that is something as an actor that is incredibly difficult to do, to play multi multiple facets of a character in different areas of their life because if you guys don't know this movies don't shoot in order they definitely shoot out of order so as an actor you have to put yourself in that mental space one day and then put yourself in a different mental space the next day to capture this character properly so that it all is conveyed properly on the screen and man oh man does this man crush this fucking role and What's crazy is that lots of people, including some members of the cast, did not believe that he could do this because he had just played O-Dog in Minister Society. And if you guys have seen that, no pun intended, I'm, I'm fucking, that man is a fucking menace, like 100%. He is like the worst of the worst type of people like in the world, a stone cold killer. Like, man, it's night and day watching these performances and looking up on behind the scenes things to see how dedicated he was to shedding the O-Dog personality so that he could really get people to believe that he could also play Frankie Lyman at these different stages in his life and just, you know, show people his acting range. And it's, it's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful, man. That man deserves all of his roses. He's in, been in so many movies and so many TV projects. And I just feel that people don't really talk about him enough. And if people were to see this movie and like Love Jones, like if you watch Love Jones, Minister Society, and Why Do Fools Fall in Love and like a little triple feature, you will not see the same character. 
Like you just won't. And you'll be able to see the acting prowess that this man has. He is an absolute gem and people really need to start talking about him more. I love seeing him in anything. Honestly, I loved it when I saw him pop up in power. I don't really watch power book two ghost uh, at all. That's a whole nother story, but I know he's in there and it's just really nice to see him be in a lot of things. And he's from Chicago too. So shout out to my boy. Now, aside from Tate, his three wives are played by Vivica Fox, Layla Roshan, and Halle Berry. And this movie also did something for me at the ripe age of six that I was not expecting. It introduced me to Halle Bucking Berry. Like, man, like, what else do I really need to say? At six years old, I knew the the first... Okay, so, <laughs> so I'll tell you guys how I fell in love with Halle Berry. My wife's totally going to hate this. If you're listening, sweetheart, go ahead and just skip ahead in like two or three minutes. So we follow Frankie Lyman as he gets his record deal and starts performing. And he goes on the road with the Platters, who have a female singer in the group named Zola Taylor, who's played by Halle Berry. And the first time that you see her, they do this like fantastic little one shot into the theater that everyone is performing at. And you hear the Platters singing their their hit, The Great Pretender. And it just goes down the aisle and looks around the entire arena just to show you like a packed arena. And then as you get closer, they zoom in on Halle Berry. And at this point in my life, you know, I, man, like, I, I don't really know how to say this. Man, I was in love at that moment. I'm not going to lie to you. Like, Halle Berry was the one for me. At six years old, I knew it. It's like the way that the lights were hitting her, the way her skin was glistening, everything, man. And the way that they framed her face in the zoom in shot. I was like, man, this this is the most beautiful woman that that I've ever seen in my life. So thank you, Why the Fools Fall in Love, for introducing me to Halle Berry. She does a wonderful job. I am a huge Halle Berry fan as well, uh, for, for obvious reasons. But she's such a really good actress, and I really enjoyed her in this because she plays the role of a battered woman so well. Like, you know, you can tell that it pains her to be with this man, but she can't resist him because of how she sees him when he performs and when he is his romantic self. It's the happiest that she's ever been. That you know when you look at her that it's short-lived. And it's such, such, such a good performance. Rounding those out are Vivica Fox and Layla Roshan, who, and Vivica Fox gets the most screen time out of the the three widows. And she definitely doesn't disappoint. I haven't always been the biggest Vivica Fox fan. I mean, she's just, she's an okay actress. Like she's in a movie and I'm like, eh, she's there. Outside of like Kill Bill, not really too much, you know, like too big of a fan, but she actually does some pretty good work here. Like I said, the entire cast does really good work. I love this movie so much. There are so many quotable moments here for me. I've been, I mean, I've been watching it since I was six years old. 
but I pretty much know the entire movie by heart. It's definitely not without its problems, but I think it has way more good parts than it has bad parts. And one of those bad parts would definitely have to be its direction in some areas. Like, okay, so the entire movie is set around the trial, you know, of these women trying to win this estate, like I mentioned before. And these women take turns throughout the movie testifying to their life and trying to prove that they married Frankie Lyman and that they are the rightful widows. So they are the rightful heirs to his estate. And there's a moment where they interview Frankie's older, his old studio head, like the, the guy who signed him to the record deal. And when you think about it in the grand scheme of the trial and the movie, there's no reason for that man to be there. Like it's, I mean, I want to say it's like a, maybe like a five minute segment of the movie can be completely cut and they could have spent time on something else. Like it just, it's really just there for, for shock factor, you know, but I promise you there's nothing because he's, he plays a surprise witness. So you would think that something meaningful would come from this, like maybe he can speak to the fact that, oh, none of these women married Frankie Lyman and I have proof or I know somebody else that married Frankie Lyman, blah, blah, blah. But it's nothing like they talk about nothing that's really relevant to the case. It's literally just for the viewer, but we could have done without it. Like it literally does not need to be there. And the plot of the movie doesn't always, you know, come together very well. But for the most part, the movie flows okay. But I'll tell you what I love so much about this, aside from the performances, is the fucking music, man. <laughs> so it's all music from like the the early fifth, the early and late fifties, and obviously the title song "Why Do Fools Fall in Love." It's old doo wop music, and I was raised on music like that, and hearing more music like that being introduced to that stuff was monumental in my musical education. I would put the movie on just to listen to the songs. Like I'd fast forward to the musical numbers and then turn it off. But then sometimes I watch the whole movie. Of course, I'm sitting there studying the dance moves, you know, doing the split and the spins and stuff. Yeah, that's right. I can do a split. Well, I I can't, I can't do it anymore. Like I will kill myself. (laughs) Uh, But back then I could do it. And to the point where my mother, I guess the movie got really popular, you know, in, you know, in the country, like for a while, because they were releasing albums, like Frankie's old albums with his group, the teenagers and like greatest hits albums and things. And my mom bought it for me, man. And had that CD player, wore that fucking CD out. Let me tell you. And the music is so good. Like it is such catchy music and it's old doo-wop music too. So it's only like, two minutes and 20 seconds long or so but man it's such a good time such a good time and whenever i hear it like it's still in my apple here apple music library today whenever i hear it i have to stop and listen to it it just gets you in a really good mood man so it's like why do fools fall in love there's a song by them called baby baby there is another one called the abcs of love juvenile delinquent out in the cold again miracle in the rain and some of these songs are from when Frankie went solo, but such a such a good time. 
such a good time. And if you want to listen to any of those songs, just please stream them. Well, if you watch the movie, you'll hear them, and I'm pretty sure you'll you'll like them. So back to the widows, right? I'm sorry that this episode is a little all over the place, like the plot of this movie sometimes. <laughs> uh, back to the the widows. So Vivica Fox, we get introduced to the second Frankie Lyman here. You know, like the second version of him with this wife. So at this point, Frankie and his career have taken a wrong turn. He has started to lose touring dates. He is not recording anymore. And he has developed a heroin addiction. And we start to see him unravel. And the thing about it that is really sad about the situation, you see how happy he is on stage. And this is another credit to Lorenz Tate's performance. You see how happy that Frankie is on stage when he's performing. The high that he gets, the love that he gets from the applause, from the audience, and how much he loves it. And then we learn that, you know, it's something that he really needed. And when he couldn't get it, he found that high somewhere else. And it's very tragic, very, very tragic thing. And we meet him when he's shit, man, at his lowest. And she lifts him up the best that she can. They're not very good together as we see things unravel in their relationship. But in the beginning, she is there to support him. And he genuinely cares about her, and so does she. But then things start to unravel. And this is where the plot kind of, like, man, like, some of the pacing and the choices of scenes put together is a little wonky. Like, they're talking about this, like, amazing time, and they haven't mentioned that Frankie, like, does drugs yet. You know? Like, we haven't really seen him decline. And then just in the very next scene, he's, like, an absolute, like, rabid drug addict. Like, man, like, I just I just didn't really get it. But for the story, as the story further plays on after that, it gets better. But it's just a little jarring. I would have liked for them to ease us into it a little bit. But that's just me. And you start to see this man at his lowest. And the dedication that Lorenz Tate had to the role of like using certain color contacts to make his eyes look different, shaving his mustache completely, uh, I'm sorry, to growing his stubble back out to make himself look more unkept and just putting himself in a mindset every single day on set from things that I've read that made him irritable and made him difficult to be around so that he can convey these things on screen. But it's such a good performance when he's there because you can tell that the man is just not coping with being a has-been. That's really what it is. Like, you know, he's constantly trying to get back into everything, but then he keeps messing it up. He keeps getting high before his performances, and then he doesn't show up because he's passed out somewhere. And then his label drops him finally. And things just take an even worse turn there. There isn't anything that anyone can do for him. 
you know, you get to the point where he's like, I have to do it for myself, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to leave. And then, you know, he gets in trouble with these drug dealers, all of this, man. And man, like it's, it's such a watchable movie. Like I can put this movie on in the background and come to it at any point in time and watch it from there, or I will fuck around and rewind it. It's such a good time for me. Maybe it's because I'm so connected to it since I saw it when I was a kid, you know, but I genuinely enjoy this. I watched it last night and I started looking up a whole bunch of behind the scenes things and like little trivia from the movie. And I'm like, man, like I still really, really enjoy this movie aside from some things that some just direction that I wouldn't have taken, you know, certain things that the director shouldn't have done. And fun fact. So the guy that directed this, uh, Gregory Nava, if I'm pronouncing his name correctly, there's the same guy who directed the Selena movie starring Jennifer Lopez. I just figured that out last night and I still haven't seen that movie. Everybody swears that it's like amazing, but I'm, maybe I'll watch it now. Now that I know that. And there's certain things that he does with the movie that I just wouldn't have done. So there's a certain point to the end and I'm not going to spoil, you know, the movie or anything like any like crucial like plot points or anything, but there's a certain point in the movie where Frankie's just at his lowest and he's just not doing okay mentally. And the director's trying to convey what's going on with him, you know, how he's feeling inside of his head. And there's just this like cacophony of sound. There's just like, just like fucking cacophony. And then there's just like a whole bunch of clips and shit on the screen. Now that would be fine and dandy, but they do this weird thing with the screen where they put these like watermarks, you feel me? Like watermarks are like all over the screen. And then there's just like flashes of things that we haven't even seen in the movie. And it looks like they set something on fire. Like it looks like they set like a piece of the film on fire, you know, and it's just like running through and like you hear this guitar riffing in the background and everything, but it's just visually, it just, it doesn't look right at all. Like it's just horrible. And then they do this, like if you, you guys know what night vision looks like, or when you use like infrared goggles on like a video game or whatever, or you see something get like a heat signature, things people look like red, yellow, and purple and shit. They do that on one screen, like um, in one scene where he's like walking down the street and for like whatever reason, it's in like black and white and kind of like an infrared thing for like five seconds. It's like, wh- why? Like, what's going on? And then, <laughs> and fuck. Then people start talking to him. So this this guy starts this, this guy starts talking to him. He's like, well, 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 if it isn't Frankie Lyman. And then that shit just echoes for whatever reason. Like, like why why are we doing this? What was the idea behind this directorial approach? What is this supposed to convey? You know, like, are we supposed to be drawn to it? Are we supposed to be alerted to it because we know it's a drug dealer? We've we've seen this drug dealer before in the movie at this point, but like you can recognize him, you know? So is it one of those things where you're not trusting your audience to remember a character or remember a face or something like that? Because he's in a very monumental scene earlier in the movie 
you should trust your audience to remember that if, if, if that was the reason that you did it, you should really trust your audience to remember who your characters are. Make sure that you do a good enough job to make them memorable and you won't have to rely on things like that. But that's only if that's what they were doing, but it really seems like that's what they were doing. And another thing that, another directorial approach, um, the makeup in these movies. So obviously the, the movie takes place at different points in time. So Frankie got his big break when he was about 13 years old. And that's something else I want to touch on too. It's not really a negative. It's just something very interesting, but I think they could have done a more emotional movie if they'd done something different. So Frankie gets his like worldwide fame when he's about 13 years old. And that's in the early 50s. And then he falls off by like 1963 or something like that. And, but the court case isn't taking place until like the late seventies, early eighties. So we see his three widows in the fifties, and then we see them in the eighties and they never really tell us their ages, but they aren't that old, you know? So as a matter of fact, you know what, I'm going to look up one of their names. I'm going to look up one of them right now and see how old she was. Okay, so Zola Taylor was born in 1938, which around the late 50s, so let's say 1950, she's about 20 in like 1958. Actually, no, it was 1956. Yeah, so it was 1956 when she meets Frankie Lyman. So she just turned, what, 18 herself. So she had just turned 18. And so then you fast forward, what, 30 years. It was 84. So 20, yes, about, about 30 years. This woman is, what, 48? And she looks like in the makeup that they use, she looks like she's like 70, like, I'm sorry. Okay, I'm exaggerating. But she looks really old. And the makeup department just aged them way too far. You know, for her to have been 18 when they met, and then to flash forward 30 years for her to only be 48 years old, she looks much older than she should. It's kind of like, you know, the, if you guys are Harry Potter fans, at the end of the Deathly Hollows part two, how this is like 19 years later, and those guys are only supposed to be like, shit like 37 years old and they look old as fuck and this the makeup just really isn't good you know they look bummy and like really old and it's like bro they're only in like in their 30s like what's going on here bro <laughs> but anyway the makeup really isn't that good on any of the women that are playing you know, on anybody that's playing an older character, the, the makeup just isn't good. So I would have DH'd them a little bit if that were me. And lastly, there are just so many like directorial questions that I have. And all of them aren't bad, but some of them are just like, you know, I want to know the purpose behind this choice. Like, what were you hoping to convey to the audience? And then, there are some writing choices that 
I don't agree with because I believe they could have created a better story if they'd gone with something that really happened. So in real, so the movie is very loosely based on Frankie's life and the main liberty that they take is never establishing how old Frankie is at any point during the movie. And when you look up Frankie Lyman and the teenagers, you find out that this man gained his popularity at the age of 13, 13 years old. So let's see, he was born in 1942. So 13 years later, that's 1950, uh, 1955. And then in the movie, it states that Little Richard, so Little Richard also plays himself in this movie, which is so awesome. It's like, it's like who else could really play that man? Well, he plays his older self, right? So who else can really play him? Like, I get that. It's just a really nice thing to see. And, it, you know, it kind of adds some, you know, reality to the movie a little bit because he and Zola Taylor were, were friends in real life. And they toured together with Frankie and Little Richard was Frankie Lyman's best friend. And it's just really nice to hear. I don't know if it's scripted or not. I didn't find anything out. It's really nice to hear him talk about his best friend, right? Or his former best friend. But anyway, so Frankie's 13 in 1955. And the movie says that he met Zola Taylor in 1956. And how we just established that Zola Taylor was already 18, right? So if she's 18 in 1956 and she meets Frankie Lyman, and marries him a year later. That means she was 19 and he was 14. I don't know what the laws were back then, but that's not right at all. So they never really established his age, I guess, because they, well, actually, I know. So they thought, um, so they took some liberties with it and never established his age and just kind of just made us assume that he was an adult, you know, because it was just better cinematically and for them to have to explain all of that stuff would have been a little weird which i get so they took some liberties with it and just you know kind of get us to believe that he's a grown man you know we they never establish his age and actually they never really talk about anybody's age so and they're just showing people in their their quote-unquote adult lives so we're just all under the assumption that everybody's an adult and for the sake of this movie they are but in real life it's like yeah this dude was 13. And then you think about that, you see this five, So his career started in 1953. So he started singing and stuff, but he didn't have a record deal yet. I'm sorry. So it started when he was 13. So in 1955 is when it, yeah, when it started. By the time 1958 came around, his career was over. So by the time he was 18, his career was over. And at this point, he'd met Zola Taylor apparently married her and met his other wife, uh, Elizabeth Waters, and potentially married her as well. So it was just like, man, like a lot of this happened in a very quick short, uh, like a very short span of time. And I think bringing a little bit more recognition to that and how quickly his life fell up, like, like excuse me, about how quickly his life, uh, how quickly he rose to stardom and then how quickly he lost it all. 
and how quickly he was in and out of these women's lives and the monumental impact that he was able to have on them emotionally in such a short period of time. I think that would have been a better way to convey lots of points of this story, to focus on how quickly he rose, how quickly and how far he fell and how it brought him to where he was by the end of the movie. I think that would have been a wonderful way to handle that. And it would have been much more emotional. But then the movie gets its saddest when we're introduced to his final wife, Amira Eagle. She's like uh, a teacher from Augusta, Georgia. And the thing about this is what makes this interesting is that, and they even uh, talk about it in the movie, that these women couldn't be any more different. Zola Taylor is a famous singer. Amira Eagle is this wildly accredited teacher, you know, has gone to so many different colleges, holds so many different degrees. And Elizabeth Waters is a, a petty thief. You know, those three women could not be any different. Yet Frankie was able to fall in love with all of them. And married at least at least two of them at the same time. You know, and just vanishing. But it's very interesting to see. And I do like the fact that they all get to tell their story. And we see these different sides of Frankie Lyman. But then it's also like, man, like, how do you believe this story after hearing the previous story? You know, it just doesn't really all make sense to you. And it's like, it's up to you to kind of put it together. When you get there and, you know, he's basically given up on the singing and everything. And you just see him living out his life with his new wife and he seems happy and everything until something happens. And then he tries to go get himself back out there. And then the rest of the movie unfolds. I won't go any farther from that. It's really sad to see his mental state because it's, it's really crazy, man. Like what happens in the beginning of the movie, you know, how he ends up taking the path that he does and where he ends up. It's so incredibly sad. Like, so fucking sad. And it, it's sad because of the way that Lorenz Tate plays it. He just does such an amazing job with this. I cannot sing his praises enough for this movie. I think that this movie deserves so much more love than it gets. It, like I mentioned before, it definitely has its problems. 100%. No movie is perfect. But there is a really good movie in here. And I honestly believe as, as much as I'm praising it right now, like such a good movie, I think that if you get all of the facts straight and make a genuine, like true biopic for this, I think that this movie is ripe for a retelling, you know, and, but if you can tell it with the real things that happen, like in the courtroom, diverging into his age and how he was introduced to things like heroin and things like that, you have a much more emotional film. And if you keep the focus on the plot, because the plot does kind of, you know, leave one every once in a while, if you keep the plot structured and on point, you'd make a, a an even better movie than you already have. Like it's, it's a solid film. And the last thing 
man, I'd, I'd just find some way to put Lorenz Tate in this movie again. I just, <laughs> I don't really know how, but I would, I would find a way to put him in here again. I just can't really see anybody else playing Frankie Lyman. Like he really does such a good job. But this movie is, let me see. I meant to look up where it was streaming, um, but I didn't. So I apologize. So bear with me while I look this up. So Why Do Fools Fall in Love is on like every single streaming site that you have to pay for it. So like you guys can stream it on YouTube. Well, we're not streaming site, but yeah, you guys can buy it on YouTube, Apple TV, Google Play Movies. If you use that, who the fuck still uses Google Play Movies? But no disrespect if you do, but I didn't even know that was still around. Um, It's honestly, it's like $3. So that's like $3 to rent. So I highly recommend it. Uh, it's just a nice little fun, fun time. Like, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, you're not about to watch the greatest movie of all time or anything like that, but it's a nice little entertaining, entertaining movie and just an insight into the minds of these, of these performers back in the day. And it's a nice little story, you know, some plot issues, you know, saying some little writing things, but at the heart of it, man, it is the nice drama and it's surprisingly very funny like the things that that unfold with the wives like in the courtroom and during their actual testimonies so they do flashbacks and you see the life that they had this movie is very funny vivica fox and halle berry are just are killing it like 100 like when it comes to the comedy beats it's hilarious actually yeah so before i wrap everything up one of my favorite scenes in this movie is set at the courthouse and they go to eat lunch and there is a moment between Vivica Fox and and Halle Berry's characters it lasts for like probably a minute minute and a half and there are no words spoken and these women are just you know just acting with their bodies their faces their eyes and absolutely hilarious i love it and it's one of my favorite parts of the movie. It probably is my favorite part of the movie. I mean, other than, you know, the introduction of, of Halle Berry. But it's so funny. And it's a nice it's a nice movie, man. I genuinely believe that most people will like this movie if they watch it. And it's very quotable, by the way. And such a good time. So I highly recommend this movie. And... Once again, I really hope you guys, you know, listen to these recommendations that I give and I hope you check it out. And if you do, man, please hit me up, you know, through email or like on social media. Let me know what you thought about it. If you hated it, please tell me and just tell me why we can talk about it Um, uh, to wrap things up. So recently saw two movies that I could totally um, that I just wanted to I just wanted to, to speak on. Saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 at the theaters last week absolutely loved it i do think it was a little long but overall i really enjoyed that movie and i was pleasantly surprised because i am not a fan of the second guardians movie volume two i'm just it's just not for me love 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 the first guardians not a fan of volume two so this was a very huge surprise for me and oh my god I was a fucking wreck by the end of that movie. Like everybody's talking about how much they cried in that fucking movie. Man, I thought I was going to be good. Man, until just one little part. Oh my God. Whew. Man, 
really good movie. And on the flip side, I finally watched, this has been in my list since it came out, the vampire hunting movie with Jamie Foxx called Day Shift. Oh, prayers up for Jamie Foxx, by the way. Um, it was kind of mid, I'm not going to lie. Like, I think I laughed maybe once or twice. I feel like if I was high, I might have really been laughing. But I wasn't. So it was just okay. Like, you know, eh, this vampire hunter has to raise money to keep his daughter and his wife from moving away and shit. I just, eh, it just didn't really do anything for me. Like, yeah, it had a couple of funny moments. And so actually, I'm not going to lie. I was pleasantly surprised by some of the action sequences. They're actually kind of dope. Um, but other than that, man, it really isn't anything of substance there. Um, of substance there. So, yeah. But highly recommend Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Yeah, that's pretty much it for us this week. Um, oh, actually, I'm I'm going to upload two episodes this week, you know, just to kind of make up for missing last week as well. The next episode will probably be... Nine times out of ten, it's going to be a movie that is coming out. Um, but look, be on the lookout for the next episode of the podcast should be on Wednesday. So be on the lookout for that, and I will see you guys then.